We stay together. We survive. We survive. We survive. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Communicate. Stick together. Stick together. In the name of unit cohesion. 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 You are listening to the Cohesion Podcast. Actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience. This episode features an interview with Brian Brockman, VP of Communications, U.S. and Canada at Nissan Motor Corporation. At Nissan, Brian is responsible for telling the brand's transformation story, protecting company reputation, and promoting strong product messages to both internal and external audiences. Previously, he served as Director of Communications, where he led efforts around new vehicle launches, product life cycles, and regional operations. In this episode, Amanda sits down with Brian to discuss transforming work culture, crafting an equitable employee experience, and how internal and external communications can flow together. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Simpler the leading AI-powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world. Organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at simpler.com. That's S-I-M-P-P-L-R.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Brian Brockman, VP of Communications, U.S. and Canada at Nissan Motor Corporation, and your host, Amanda Berry, Corporate Brand and Communications Manager at Simpler. Brian, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Amanda. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about transforming work culture because I know that you've been doing that at Nissan. Um, I believe in 2020, Nissan announced Nissan Next, which is a four-year transformation plan to achieve sustainable growth, financial stability, and profitability. What was the key moment for you folks at Nissan where you realized that transformation was necessary? You know, the automotive industry at large around the world is in a period of very fast growth and very rapid transformation. And in order to put us on the right path to have success in this new future, we need to be able to invest and to quickly change how we did business. At the same time, we had a business structure that was really focused on one thing, and that was growth and scale sometimes to the detriment of the health of other parts of the business. So what we needed to do was really refocus the business on driving the right kinds of outcomes, driving the right kinds of performance, and developing around that to put ourselves on the road to this sustainable future so we could continue to compete and really deliver the things that customers expect from a company like Nissan. Now that you're through it, or you're, you're in it, you're, you're coming out the other side of it, and you look back, how would you define what it means to transform culture at a company? If you look at it from a broader perspective, what we figured out we needed to do is three main things. We needed to change our business and how we looked at our business, how we set priorities, change our product as a car company. It's often said there's nothing that a good product can't solve and then change our culture. 
And all three of those things were equally important. So when it came to business, it was going from that intense focus on volume and scale to something more focused on the customer, something more focused around providing great value and quality and all of that and making the intense focus on that over sheer, just sheer volume. When we talk about changing the product, all of our core models that people associate with our brand were getting renewed. So we had vehicles like Sentra and Rogue, Pathfinder and Frontier, iconic names for the Nissan brand that we were bringing to market and doing so with new features, new technology and great new design that people would recognize and then changing our culture. So how do you make those first two things come to be? How do you make them deliver for you? You have to get buy-in from all your key stakeholders. You have to get employees on board. You have to get our dealers and our suppliers on board. And that required us to handle our business and our culture a little bit differently. So we recognize those are very important things. And so we became a very people-centric culture, whether that's focus on employees and their well-being, whether that's focusing on our customers and how we can best engage with them to provide them the experience they want, or even business partners, like I said, dealers, suppliers, so that we can have that shared success and they can benefit from this transformation as much as we can. Yeah. You obviously started this in 2020. We all know what happened in 2020. It seems like that would be a really tough time to launch it with the pandemic. Some people may be working from their homes. So what are some of the biggest challenges you encountered along the way? I can put that in two different compartments. One, the business challenge that came with that, but also as the head of communications, the communications challenges that came that really were a big opportunity. So let me go back to the first one. Obviously, you know, you get through 2020 when factories are closing so that people are staying safe and staying healthy and people are working from home and you're trying to just keep the business going. You're trying to service customers who are having issues with their vehicles that they still need to use. So that was very much the types of crisis management that is a company we've traditionally been very good at. So people attacked those challenges one after the other after the other. Then supply chain challenges came in. And we had a very aggressive approach to try to take those on and work with the suppliers to try to keep the supply of parts coming so we could build the cars that, frankly, people did want to buy. And so those were very difficult challenges at times to come through. And certainly they affected the business. But it created a necessity to really make sure we were being consistent with this transformation and to make sure that we kept our focus on all of those things that were our new priorities with this new culture and the new business priorities. As the head of communications, it actually created an opportunity for us to talk to our employees differently because usually we would be gathering people in large meeting rooms and conference rooms and we'd be trying to have these large scale meetings Fortunately, right before the pandemic, kind of midway through 2019, we had switched to a new video conferencing provider. We were starting to use tools like Zoom a bit more frequently. So when we had to make that fast pivot in 2020 and use it as an exclusive meeting tool for all of our employees, it became a lot easier to make that transition. And as people learned that, communication became much smoother. And then it gave us the opportunity, frankly, with a new leadership team that was trying to sell in this new culture to allow them to speak to employees that, in a way that felt one-to-one. They're talking just like this between you and me. And so it was not easy, but it facilitated that trust in leadership because they could have more direct communication in ways that would have been much more challenging the old way. 
So then it developed that consistency of focus. It delivered that consistency of message and it built up that trust that the employee base started to have in our new leadership team and really take off from there. And that became the critical point is that consistency. Yeah. Well, now that you're three years sort of out of that, are we in 2023 now? What are some of the biggest shifts you've seen occur at Nissan from that? I would say the biggest one is, and this sounds very simple, but it makes such a big difference, is being very employee centric and making sure that people see that when we communicate top level decisions all the way down through day to day business decisions. So when we're talking about making changes within, say, our manufacturing structure, you know, we talk about delivering those messages to people in ways that they can understand, but also engaging the leaders so that they can reinforce the messages so that they understand them and that they can get the buy in that they need. So really focusing on communication through the organization. But then the other piece of it is just seeing that consistency of focus so that people can anticipate what that next decision is going to be. And so they start to trust it. So let me give you a, a couple of good examples of things you know, that happened within the company that showed this new intense focus on people. So parental leave benefits is a good example. For years, there had been these discussions around how do we expand that? How do we make sure that we're providing parental leave benefits for employees that motivate them to want to build a career at Nissan, but also respect the fact that they're going to have families. And we want to make sure that they get off to that important step on the right foot. So we expanded our parental leave benefits all the way out to, you know, 16 weeks if people want to take that long. And that's also for mothers, for fathers, for same-sex couples. So it's very important that we deliver those types of things for employees. When we started talking about compensation and benefits, making sure that we are more than competitive where we do business, because in a very tight labor market, we need to make sure we're building a strong employee base and we don't have big issues of attrition. So while we saw the great resignation and other things happening around us, we were trying to take steps to make sure that people wanted to continue to build here. And so as they saw those types of decisions made, we saw the compensation, the benefits and all of those things coming together. And we saw the messaging that put this company on a much more stable and sustainable footing going forward. People began to trust the leadership more and they know that those next decisions are going to be taken with their point of view in mind as well. Let's back up a few minutes. I have a lot of questions I want to get into about all of that you just said, but I want to back up and talk more about you, learn a little bit about you. So let's move into our first segment, Story Time. Welcome to Story Time. Story Time. Story Time. Let me tell you a story. So you've been in communications the majority of your career. What drew you to communications? Everyone, I feel like everyone's got a great story that's just sort of, you know, started here and ended up in communications. As I came through growing up, school and, and everything else, I think somewhere along the line, I had a vision of being a broadcast journalist and I wanted to be able to communicate with people. I wanted to be able to talk to people about important things or things that they were enthusiastic about, things that got them excited. And so as I was coming through school, looking at other career opportunities, keeping doors open, the concept of public relations and communication seemed like a very natural fit. You're taking, whether it's a company's perspective, whether it's a nonprofit perspective, whether you're an agency and you're doing work for a number of different clients, you're taking that messaging and translating in a way that means something for an audience, for a stakeholder group that's very important. 
So to me, that became very appealing because not only are you delivering the message, but you also have to create the message. You also have to take all of these different pieces and synthesize them to make a compelling case to some audience. And so as a young college student, that motivated me. I thought that was interesting. And then, you know, straight out of college, got hired in at a PR agency in Chicago, but very quickly had an opportunity to come up with another automaker that had a new position there in Chicago and jumped on that. And, and here I am 23, 24 years later, still doing similar things, just at a different level. Oh, very cool. Well, you have a great voice for radio and television. So I think you could have made it had you cho chosen that path instead of what you do now. <laughs> I do hear that from time to time when we have town hall meetings and other things. I often am called on to MC. And, and so I have around the employee population become like the Zoom guy. You're the host yeah. guy. So. <laughs> so you're the VP of communications for US and Canada at Nissan. You oversee both internal and external communications. How do you make that work? How do you make sure that they're intertwined and that they flow together appropriately? So when you're doing internal communications, external communications, it's key that you make sure you set your priorities, you think about your messaging, but really you take all of your audiences into account. And so as a company, and as I was talking about with Nissan Next, becoming very people-centric, oftentimes we want to make sure employees hear communications first. So at the same time, it doesn't necessarily change how you communicate. At its core, it's still your audience and your channels and how you get that message in front of that audience. So perhaps we've taken a more deliberate approach to make sure that we push messages to our internal audiences earlier, but we're still using the same types of data, the same types of messaging for our audiences, just with that internal group in mind. Sometimes you have to take into account, for example, they know a little bit more about the business. They know about it from a different perspective. They may even be a little more skeptical about things than an external audience. So you have to understand that audience, know what they're going to respond to, know what they're expecting, and then deliver that in a way and then have the follow-up with it as well. So engaging people to have good conversations, to build ambassadorship, to build enthusiasm inside, because that's going to drive better performance for the company and ultimately better visibility outside too. So internal, in, for a long time in my career, it was thought of as something very different. It was a different type of communications. But I've learned over time, and even as I had an opportunity to run our internal communications function several years ago, it is very much the same fundamentals as external communications, just with a different audience in mind. Yeah, I know a lot of our audience is internal comms, and we have that struggle of trying to pair up with external comms to make sure we're on lock and like we're all walking together. But oftentimes, I know I've had the experience where you find out about something like the day before, then you're like, oh no, you know, we have to scramble and get stuff done. Is there something from what you know doing both that internal communications can take out? that'll help them better connect with external communications. For us at Nissan, I mean, we, for many years, for lack of a better description, kind of had silos. We had a corporate communications team that was mainly external. We had a product communications team, mainly external. And then we had employer internal communications. Over the last four or five years, we have tried to make sure that those teams are not siloed. So as plans are being put into place, whether that's plans about a new product launch, about technology, about a business plan announcement, even things like earnings and other types of announcements like that, we have to make sure that the team is talking. And so whether it's at our director level, whether it's at our senior manager level, all those teams stay very well connected 
to make sure that nobody is caught by surprise, that we're not getting ready to make an announcement in one part of the business. And then the internal side is scrambling and trying to figure it out or vice versa. We're not getting ready to make an announcement inside the company that's going to create a scramble if for some reason it finds its way outside of our walls two days after we put it out to employees, because we've seen it both ways. So the biggest piece of it from a communications function is staying connected, staying in communication. It seems fundamental, but for us, sometimes we have to remind ourselves of it, but making sure that all of our plans have all of the stakeholders in mind and are developed cohesively at the same time, not as individual pieces that kind of should end up in the same place at the end. Great. Well, I'm going to move us into our next segment, getting tactical. I'm trying to figure out tactics. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't have to worry about tactics too much. Here I am in charge and trying to say, why did you sleep through tactics? Tactics. I want to go back and talk about transforming culture because I feel like that's such, a, not a buzzword, but it's something companies are trying to do, right? They're trying to stand out and create an environment that's more employee-centric. But I wonder if you could just kind of walk through what's involved. Like if someone's listening, who's going to be taking this on, what are some things they need to do in order to make this a successful? Absolutely. What's the most important part is deciding kind of what is that North Star? What are you transforming to become? You can't just say you're transforming without an idea, a vision in mind. So decide what that is first and foremost. And then you have to find a way to develop a compelling set of messages that can get people on board, that can rally people, that are clear and easy to understand. But also those messages have to have behavior behind them. They have to have action taken behind them so that people will see them as credible. The worst thing you can do is have a message that says one thing and then actions that tell you something different. So once you have, okay, we've got our North Star, we know generally what our path there looks like, even if it may be a bit of a winding path, you know where you want to go, you know the fundamentals of what you need to get there, you've gotten your stakeholders, your employees or other groups on board, and you've informed them what that is, then it's driving that consistency, then it's driving trust and engagement. So we saw that, for example, every year we do employee surveys to try to gauge engagement, enablement, you know, the level of trust of leadership and various other business factors that come in. And so we knew we would start to see some checkpoints there. And those have all been going the right direction over the last three years. People have, after some initial skepticism, gotten on board and have been engaged. And you see that trust build. And then the other piece, you know, we decided, if you look, we have our America's headquarters. So from Canada all the way down through South America here in Tennessee. And each one of our major markets where we have operations, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, even Peru and Chile, we had the great place to work designation earned in those respective markets. In the US, as a major automaker, as a manufacturer, it's not been something that we've seen other companies like us earn. Just because you have such a wide array of employees, you have a wide array of stakeholders that work in different environments, getting messages different ways, seeing priorities through different lenses. But we decided we wanted to try to go for that. And we wanted to see if we could earn that in the US. Year one, we weren't totally successful, but we saw a good path. We saw that there was some progress we were making. And then in year two, we did earn it. So we have earned that designation across the U.S. and across our America's region. It's not something to celebrate on its own merits, but it's something to celebrate because we've made that progress. We have 
instituted this transformation and we've gotten people on board. So we're moving the company forward and we have their buy-in. And so that tells us that what we've done over the years, over the last three, has really moved us in the right direction. That's amazing that you didn't get it and then you got it the second year. Yeah, it does show real progress. Congratulations. That's amazing. Who did you get involved in this? Like who else was involved working with you on transforming culture? It was driven really on a global level. So when you talk about global leadership from the CEO's office all the way down, so obviously executive leadership is very important because it sets the tone and it sets the business priorities. Very close partners with human resources through this as well. When you talk about employee engagement, when we talk about action planning, when we talk about getting leaders trained up and doing the right things. HR is a critical step in that. So we've been very closely partnering with them. And then other parts of the business as well, because really within a large company like this, whether it's manufacturing, making sure that we're driving through that organization, we have thousands of people who work in our manufacturing plants. We need their engagement. We need them to feel like they're a part of something bigger than just the one job that they're doing in front of them. So really, it's developing kind of the culture in all the areas of the company, but then laddering up to the top level. So it's even been partners in marketing. It's been partners in operations and other parts of the business. So but really, in reality, it's executive leadership. It's been communications around the world and our HR function that have probably worked closely together to drive it all home. I want to go back to you said you have thousands of manufacturing employees, and that's that's a buzzword. I've worked as an, an internal comms for companies who have what I would call hands-on or deskless or frontline workers. So I'm sure you have thousands of those workers. It's going to be difficult getting the messages to them because they're not sitting at a desk at a computer all day, checking email. How did you make this an equitable experience for people in the manufacturing part of Nissan? It's critical to make sure that you have a, a good, healthy, engaged workforce for them to feel in the loop on things and for them to understand what's going on at the company, especially when we've come through the last couple of years where there's been supply chain challenges and interruption in production and all of those things that could create a lot of uncertainty. So really, the biggest part of it is twofold. One, making sure that we do have all the right ways that we can get messages to them. You know, we have a plant here in Smyrna, Tennessee that is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. There are some types of communications that probably are not dramatically different than we were doing, you know, around the time the plant opened. We have supervisors talking to people before they go on the line for their shift. And there's still a lot of power in that. Where we can add to that or we can improve that is to make sure that supervisor who's delivering the message is just as engaged as we are, that they have all that information that they need so that when they deliver the message, if someone who works in their group has a question or if someone who works in their group is a little bit skeptical, they can help address that in the moment. The worst thing you can have is somebody that's delivering the message who isn't engaged, somebody who doesn't believe the message that they're delivering. So we have to make sure they're informed ahead of when they need to deliver the message and that they're engaged in a way that at least gives them the credibility with their team. Even if they can't answer every single question, they can say, let me get an answer for you, go get it and bring it back. So some of it is just fundamental interpersonal communications like that. The other parts are, frankly, technology. So whether it's digital billboards in the plants that are very simple, easy to understand messages that are recognition, safety, the different pieces that people can look at and grasp in just a split second, all the way down through having a mobile app that employees want to engage with, that we deliver the types of information to them using that app 
so that they will go to it and check it again and again and again, because we have to earn that engagement. So making sure that we have that and, and we're working through making that the most valuable tool we can, but really trying to create that surround sound so that people feel informed and engaged and are ready to take on whatever gets in front of them on a given day. Yeah. How did you make sure that people were engaged? I feel like this is because of the length of this transformation, you know, four years. How are you making sure people continue to engage with the content and then it's effective and efficient? It's creating the expectation that when we have something to share, we're going to share it. When we have valuable information, they're going to hear it from us. And that we're going to shoot straight, that we are going to deliver very powerful, direct messaging to them without a whole lot of fluff, without a whole lot of, they don't feel like that we're trying to position it to them so much as we're delivering them the information they need. That's the biggest key and just consistency and repetition as well. So it's not always just communicate more so much as making sure you communicate effectively, you communicate efficiently, and that there's a good balance of the message too. As communicators, we all know you have to blend, you have to sometimes deliver some negative messages or things that are challenging, things that we have to attack. At the same time, you want to hear kind of the growth message. You want to hear the positivity. You want to hear recognition. To some extent, if you're working in any place, regardless of who you are, you like to be recognized. You like to be engaged. And so trying to make sure you also create that culture of engagement, recognition, and rewards. And so making sure that we put all of those messages together in all of those channels gets kind of that normal need for engagement and people will come back and grab those messages again. We haven't solved it perfectly. We can still do better. And we're always trying to find ways to help deliver those messages because you have some employees who are already to being ambassadors and, you know, heavily engaged and they're spreading the word all the way down to people who show up on Monday and they may be cynical and skeptical and just trying to get through the day. And we need to take all of those audiences into account and make sure we're getting the information to them that they need. Let's move into our last segment, Asking for a Friend. Who's asking for a friend? Hey, asking for a friend. Let's say I'm starting something like this in my company. What are some do's and don'ts that I should be aware of to make this successful? In terms of what do you do, as I said before, you have to be ultimately extremely consistent. People have to believe what you're saying and they have to trust that the actions happening that they don't see match up with the words that they do see. Don't put too much flowery language around it. Don't put too much positioning that employees or your other stakeholders are going to see through and it's not going to be credible to them. Keep that focus on your North Star. Keep that ultimate focus on where you want to go and let that drive your behaviors. And sometimes that also means having a very honest conversation with other members of the leadership team, having a, that direct conversation to say, this decision's being made here. This is our focus. This is where we need to be moving. Do we need this either distraction or is this going to take us away from the progress that we've made? Because if you are trying to transform because you've been in a place that's uncomfortable or a place that creates distrust, it's going to be very difficult to get your momentum moving back forward if you give back any of the growth, any of the changes that you've already made. It's hard to make progress 
it's easy to get sidetracked at times because you're trying to change the very culture of who you are and how you operate. So if you keep your focus aimed kind of into the future and you keep pushing forward, you have to maintain that momentum. But once you get people moving with you, they will work. They will get things done side by side. And that's what we've seen. So it's when you see things that work, keep leaning into it. Keep using that. Keep trying to use that to motivate people. But also the other thing is it's very easy to get caught up in the challenges that are there, the little setbacks, things that happen that don't go as well as you plan. Recognize that. Celebrate failures for what they are. That's one thing that our leadership team is, has embraced now. They say, okay, you know, the stereotype fail fast type thing, but don't be afraid to fail. And when you do, acknowledge it, learn from it, and then move forward. And then celebrate your wins, celebrate what you learn, and use that to rally people, use that for recognition. So that would be the other big do, I think, is while you're doing this transformation, don't lose track of having a culture of recognition and understanding that it's people that are going to drive the success. It's people who are going to drive the transformation, not an individual or a small group that are really going to make, say, a, a new culture really seat and get into place. Yeah. You keep mentioning skeptics. So I want to just touch on that and ask, what would you say to a leader or even an employee when they're not buying into this? They Let's say that they've seen it before. This is the third culture change. They've worked there 15 years. And for whatever reason, what would you say to someone who's having trouble buying into this? It is a refocusing on what we have. In our case, it was a lot of that consistency of, okay, it's changed the business, changed the product, changed the culture. People heard that a lot. But then focusing on what did they mean? And again, delivering that in a very easy to understand in just a few words. So what does that mean? Continuing to drive that home, not like a slogan or a mantra, but as a statement of who you are and who you want to be. And sure, it's going to take time for some people to get on board with that. Consistency is going to help. But then acknowledging that I get you may be skeptical today. I get you may not think this is something that we can achieve today. But this is something we're committed to. This is something that we are going to stick with. You can be skeptical today, but stick with it. We'll show you tomorrow. We'll show you the next day, next year. And over time, sometimes you just have to earn it. And so acknowledging that, giving people the respect that they may take a little bit longer to come around, but really just keeping that consistency of focus on your end and making sure that over time, you're convincing them. And if for some reason you have somebody who's not fully on board and they decide it's not for them, then you acknowledge that and everybody moves on in a healthy way. But most people over time, it's just that consistency. It's just they see the commitment and it may take varying levels of time to earn that trust. I can hear the passion in your voice. I can tell you really believe in this. And that's amazing. I think that's actually such a great first step. Like you, what you'd mentioned, getting leaders on the same page and moving forward. I think you've done a great job. Thank you for sharing all of your expertise with us. Before I let you go today, though, would you let our listeners know where they can find you? Because I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who may be in HR or internal comms or whatever department who may be experiencing this, listening, wanting to get some expert advice from someone like you. Where can they find you? Yeah, the easiest way, I'm, of course, on LinkedIn. So you can find me uh, there, Brian Brockman. There's a handful of us, I'm sure, on LinkedIn, but I'm easy to find there. And then from a Nissan perspective, you know, all of the great work that our comms team is doing, we do have our media site, usa.nissannews.com, and people can kind of see some of the different information that we've had out there, mainly from an external standpoint. 
when it comes to that. But yeah, those are the easiest ways to find me. I'm on Twitter and Facebook and other places, but those are as much about baseball and football and other hobbies as they are about work things. So yeah, sure. Well, Brian, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler, the leading AI-powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world. Organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at simpler.com. That's S-I-M-P-P-L-R dot com. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review, and head over to www.simpler.com slash podcast for more information. Until next time, you're listening to The Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler. See you in the next episode.